Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pistolka, and with me today, I am so excited. I've got John Lamy, Lamy Consulting here today. John, it's an honor to have you on, man. Hey, Damon, it's a privilege, and uh, just from talking the last five minutes, I'm really, really excited about uh, being with you today. Oh, I know. We didn't even know. We did, This could, this, this could have just changed the whole conversation because we were going to talk about and we are we're going to talk about achieving satisfying business results but but we were talking a bit about some other things here and we'll get into them later but man i am so excited to uncover uh a few nuggets a few cool things about your background because it is it is so nice to be able to talk with someone like yourself about some of the things you've seen and the, mm-hmm. your passion and how you've applied that and how you help people. So, John, if we can, let's talk a little bit about your background. You've got a very mm-hmm. interesting background. <laughs> well, I'm as a kid, I grew up in the Midwest in a little town called Sedalia, Missouri. 20,000 people, a conservative town. Um, <laughs> do you Is know that the Sedalia? place where they have the throat rolls? No. Oh, different. I'm thinking of a different one. Okay. Different but place. Okay. I yep. used to drive through Missouri the, a lot. We do have the state fair in Sedalia, Missouri. Okay. So every year we'd have the big thing come around. Nice. Well, I'm going to talk kind of left brain, right brain. That that I think is important to where I wound up, you know, 50 years later as a yeah. business guy. So talking left brain, uh, as a little kid, I was very interested in radio. That was, they didn't have computers back then, but uh, radio was hot. So as a little kid, seven years old, I built a radio and then eight years old, built a better one and like that. All the way through high school, built radios, um, uh, built a stereo at one point. Wow. Um, And then uh, went on to MIT, got a degree in electrical engineering, which was uh, a continuation of that. Um, I still remember sitting in a, a big lecture hall and the guy talking about that. Now this is a capacitor. We're going to talk about capacitors today yeah. and it's, uh, you know, E equals J theta, whatever. And this guy next to me says, Hey John, what's a capacitor? And I said, well, it's a little gizmo about the size of a firecracker. Oh, okay. Cause see, I knew, I knew all that stuff. Yeah. So it really helps to have the hands on. Yeah. So, uh, I got a job with Hewlett Packard making, uh, they didn't make computers back then, but they made the electronic instruments. Yeah. And these were, they're now called microwave. It's radio e- kind of equipment. Yeah. I had a great ride. I was an R&D manager uh, in that area for quite a few years. But at some point, I got a very interesting promotion to be quality manager for a division of about a thousand people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was essentially in the C-suite. Um and that jogged something in my head. I, I was always a techie guy, but 
uh, I got interested in what makes the enterprise work. Yeah. And what makes it not work? Because there's a lot of not work out there too. Yeah. I got real interested in that um, to the degree that shortly, at, well, five years after I got that job, I, I left the company and went back and got an MBA at Cornell uh, just because I'm interested in how these companies work. And I was a consultant uh, basically ever since. So I uh, worked for a couple of small consult or mid-sized consulting firms and so on. But so, it all kind of hinged on this deal of yeah. uh, how does a company, what makes a company work? Yeah. So, so I got a question back at the beginning. Yeah. How, how does someone in Sedalia, is that the right name of the town? Yep. Yep. Missouri end up at MIT? I mean, did you have yeah. someone at school that, that or uh, relatives that had gone there? Or how did you really do that? Because, I, I mean, I grew up in the Dakotas, man, and it, it, um, we didn't even know how to spell MIT. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit unusual. Uh, the guidance counselor uh, said, don't don't apply there, John. You're not going to you won't get in. Nobody gets in there. Uh, but I had a math teacher who yeah. really believed in me. And he was fantastic. Just um uh, uh, just a great guy yeah. all the way around and uh, he would give me extra hard problems like you know I, kids would be walking out of the class in high school and he'd say hey john work on this problem here and i'd work on it for a couple of days because it was hard yeah so he he was kind of it and i did have an uncle my dad's brother that went to mit a long time ago okay so I, it kind of put it within the realm of possibility yeah but it was a shock i mean i jumped on that airplane in Kansas yeah. city flew back there and i mean holy cow yeah so yeah yep and, and we've got steve rice and scott uh Schumwehr here as well and steve just dropped your uh language consulting uh link in the in the comments but um yeah glad to have you guys here that, but yeah so you get on so you're there was that the first time i would assume it's first time you got on a plane right uh no we had done a little bit of travel but not okay. a whole lot okay yeah. but it was okay. a huge deal to jump in and, and you go back to boston cambridge and you're with a higher caliber an average of a higher caliber of people yeah you know i was in a fraternity and uh, the guys were great the professors were great. The whole deal, just Boston itself, for, from a you know a kid from the country to, yeah. to do that, it was really really neat. Yeah. So, so did you grow up on a farm then, or did you grow up no, in town? Oh, in you're town. in town. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very good. Um, and I was kind of, you might say, upper middle class. My dad was a doctor. One okay. of the few doctors in the town. Yep. But that was the kind of deal at dinner table, phone rings and uh, somebody's just broken their arm. And he's got to go off. Yeah. A lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so anywho, I, I just had a great ride. I loved Hewlett Packard back then. It was a great company. Uh, Bill and Dave uh, Hewlett and Packard. Did you uh, actually meet them? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. I wasn't losing buddies, but I sat no, with no. Dave Packard at a dinner one time and had a good chance to chat with him. Uh, in fact, oh, you'd, like this, you'd like this story. He was the um, Under Secretary of Defense in, yep. uh, I believe, Nixon's years. And so this was shortly after that. And we were sitting at dinner together. I said, so that must have been great being back there. What's the, what's the best thing that occurred? He said, I gave up smoking. <laughs> meaning <laughs> meaning it, it sucked. Yeah. He said, you, you know, you'd go to one committee meeting and here's this congressman making a statement and you go to the next committee meeting, same guy, opposite statement, no integrity. 
And Packard wasn't like that. Packard was high on integrity. Uh, so, wow, you know, it's just interesting to, to pick up on that view of Washington. Yeah, so, no doubt. But I mean, those those two guys were legends. They're legends, legends, legends in, they the, were. In, in the global sense, legends. Yep. And um, the thing that they did more than anything else, and this has been said a million times, but they said, let's let's believe in our people. Let's let's pay them well. Let's give them responsibility. Let's trust them. And I'm amazed as a consultant. I'm just amazed at how infrequently that policy happens. Yeah. You know, I, I had a client uh, for a few years and his policy was um, pay him as little as you can. Because why? It's an expense. You don't, mm-hmm. don't want to have a high expense. And I said, dude, you got to pay them in the top, I'm going to say quartile. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to be the very, very tippy top because then you're you know, kind of pissing off everybody else. You're yeah. dragging the thing up. But if you pay them the top quartile, uh, you're going to satisfy a hygiene factor. They're not going to leave because they're going to get a better job somewhere else. But you're going to yeah. keep the good people. You're going to keep the good people. Uh, yeah, he would. He wouldn't do it, but Hewlett yep. Packard did, and we just attended to attract uh, good people, and that's the biggest lesson I got from Bill and Dave. Is really trust the people, take care. That's of them. amazing, dude. That's amazing yep. that you 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 actually I mean, shook hands with them. So I mean, just oh, yeah. being in the da- same damn room with them is something to say. <laughs> well, I I tell you another story. Uh, this that was Dave Packard. This is Bill Hewlett. Bill was more the techie guy. So I was working on a microwave spectrum analyzer. I won't try to explain what that is, but uh, he he came around to see it. You know, I had a group of guy about twenty engineers working on this thing, and um, this this is when your heart swells up. He I was showing it to him, and I had to sing. He said, "No, wait, 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 wait." He said, "Now you mean to tell me I'm seeing an eighteen gigahertz signal, and I'm seeing a sixty hertz sideband on that signal?" I said, uh, yes, sir. That, that's what that is. And he says, well, I'll be goddamned. <laughs> Just like that. And I, I mean, I almost cried. <laughs> In fact, I can feel it even as I sit here. Yeah. Yeah. Just the, the feeling of having, here's this guy, he's the president of the company, and he is still enough of an engineer, and he just was amazed. It's like, and, you know, an engineer, you work hard on something, and when somebody appreciates the real substance of it, um, you know, he walked oh, that water is, for the rest of my life. Yeah. That, that is an amazing story because he understood the effort it took to do that. Exactly. And and exactly. they because it's it's like it's it's like if you saw a second sun and somebody said, I just created the second sun out there because it was, you know, the the the, the, the difficulty in it and the technical challenges, but you did something that they thought may not have been possible until they saw it. Right. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Wow, that's crazy. That's it, crazy stuff. And it goes man. back to you know he could have uh, just been there yeah, or well, whatever, but he he essentially gave me and my team a big affirmation by saying that, just like that. Yeah, so, no doubt. Well, yep. we've got Steve. Steve's making comments, and he's some great comments about you. I agree, hundred <laughs> percent, there, Steve. And wow. and then Thank Scott you, Scott drops one too. He's yeah, I just wow. master of turning chaos into order. Awesome. All right. Awesome guys. Yep. <laughs> That's good. Yep. But oh my goodness. I would just that well, is that is something. I mean, because you're talking about this is I mean, how old were you when this happened? Oh, probably my 30s. 
yeah. something like that. Yeah, right. Somewhere in there. In the I, it was bigger, I was managing this group of uh, R&D guys. Yeah. And we came yeah. out with what became the gold standard for uh, spectrum analyzer for quite a few years. Yeah. So, wow. Well, let me let me snap clear back. Yeah. So that that's kind of the uh, left brain, kind of the right. Yeah, your technical part. But then then you started thing. to think about human behavior and other things. So kind of what triggered that? Yeah. Um, I was raised as a as a very devout Catholic. Yeah. In a very conservative town. Uh, my family was Republican, but as they as they say, as Rachel Maddow says, uh, Eisenhower Republicans are what we call liberals today. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I was raised in that kind of environment. Uh, very devout Catholic. Uh, did everything according to the book. My junior year at MIT, I took a class on Eastern religion. Just took, yeah. I just took it. You know, I mean, you're supposed to take. They require every engineer to take uh, one humanities class every semester. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, the professor was fantastic. I got very interested in it. Um, I started meditating at that point. Uh, there was a group in Cambridge right there near where I was. Uh, and I used to go and meditate with them. Uh, but I got very touched by it. Now, I didn't just abandon my Catholicism all at once. I think it took uh, five or 10 years for it to kind of uh, go away, you might say and get gradually pushed out by a newfound awareness of the interior life. The way I was raised with Catholicism was pretty much ritualistic. Mm -hmm. And the idea of an interior life was not uh, a part of it, frankly. That's just where we were now. I know yeah. in some places that's not true at all. But yeah. uh, that's for me it was. But what, what uh, happened was the idea that you have um, something going on inside that that uh, has to do with your emotions, your human development. Uh, and in the big picture, it's how egocentric you are versus uh, other centric, mm -hmm. how insecure you are versus feeling comfortable in your skin, um, how reactive you are. Uh, things happen and can piss you off and you can stay that way for a long time. Yeah. Um, uh, you can repress things. Like I remember, like I said, conservative family, my mother used to say, Johnny, don't be a smart aleck. I'd, I'd do something and she'd say, oh, don't be a smart aleck. And so that tended to me to smooth down and, and yep. take away any sense of going, rah, rah. You just didn't do that in my family. Mm -hmm. And so that gets repressed and kind of taken away. And, um it just you you slightly become a victim a little yeah, bit yeah. when you do that. You project things onto other people, either good or bad. Uh on minorities you project they're lazy, they're stupid, whatever. On um outstanding people, you say, Oh man, that they must be great. You can't imagine them doing something fundamentally evil. Mm -hmm. okay. So that so your perception you're at if you don't have an awareness of your interior life you are at risk of having perceptions that aren't quite right uh judgments that are inappropriate uh projections yeah. onto other people uh bad habits will well up and kind of take over and, and they're hard to um hard to eradicate or hard to make peace yeah. with so yeah. facing your own inner demons and your own cravings that 
that that's that's an important part. So after college, uh, moved to California and um, basically started going to things like week long retreats and stuff like that. Even back in the back in the day in the early seventies when I when I first moved to California, my wife and I. Yeah. So, point being uh, that that side of yourself, if you don't attend to it in some way or another, uh, you're not going to be as capable. You're not going to be as whole and as alive as you could be otherwise. And that starts to bring us back now to why companies get screwed up Mm -hmm. and why leaders are uh, less than uh, as capable as they could be. We've all had bosses who I've had a whole bunch of them, but one in particular stands out. Very, very smart guy, genius in the sense of being out of the box. Yeah. But you couldn't live with them. You just couldn't. I, I eventually moved from one division to another, as did other people. And eventually, he his job just kind of went away, and he went away. Mm-hmm. Um, you you've got to attend to that side of things. So that that yeah. becomes for me an important uh, aspect of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's the left brain, right brain side of John Lamy and how I came to be where I am. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, Steve drops a comment about 15 minutes and becomes a, a spiritual advisor. And yeah, I think right. I think that and and Curtis, thanks for stopping by today, Curtis. Man, it, it is it is interesting. And and listen to John speak. It, I'm, I'm sure it will continue to be. Um, but you know, we talked about this before we got on, and it, it, we in no we hadn't even discussed this prior, but this is something that I've been working on for the last year and a half or so, and really discovering and understanding. And and man, I'm People are listening. I got to tell you, you you need to start thinking about different things inside of you to really unlock your full potential. And and I think yeah. this is one of the things that we we miss. And we'll get on to the your your study of human behavior because I I, I want to uh, talk just a moment about uh, a, a skosh about some of the things that I've learned, and then what you see when you're yep. helping organizations, because for me being new to it and, and, you know, reading, trying to learn, trying to understand, trying and meditating and meditating a little more and building up on that. And some of the other things that people do when you talk about affirmation and, and daily exercise and the things that you can really do to work on yourself, to get your mind right, to get your mind in the right place. I find in myself that comparatively, I don't get angry nearly as much. I mean, I mean, cause when I was young in my thirties, I mean, it, it shot off the chart pretty easily and it's it definitely got better as older, but now it's like, there is a new calm in my life that is like, and it's not because things aren't stressful. It's not because things are that it's just like you put them in perspective and you yeah. understand and you, you, it's not just focusing on the bad. You, you understand how there's so much good and there's so much awesome around you just in the the fact that trees push out leaves every year and exactly and you get that kind of perspective and it changes how you look at yourself in business and what you really can achieve in business and in life mm-hmm. and i think yep. so what are you i mean i don't even know the right questions asked dude because i'm so excited about this because so as, as you're learning this and you trying to learn about human behavior and, and applying this towards 
business and how mm-hmm. you've seen leaders transform their businesses. What are some of the things that you go, wow, this really is, has been uh, um, altering? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And, and one of them involves you directly, um, Damon and, and Scott and uh, Steve. Uh, the four of us have uh, just made a kind of an informal uh, arrangement where we uh, sit with the CEO mm-hmm. as an advisory board. And you'd say, okay, all right, uh, what's that? Well, I've, I've written down a way of thinking about it. I'm going to just flash this up here. I don't know if you can see that, but it says scoping guide. Mm-hmm. This is a little thing that, uh, and it's got a total of about a dozen boxes on here, but it's got stuff like um, uh, operations, marketing, product development, strategy, uh, uh, cultures down here. It's got 12 areas that the four of us, no one of us, but the four of us together, we can go ask questions about those things. And bring what four more pairs of eyes to that CEO, uh, and he's got a C-suite. They have problems. They think they know the answers. They think yeah. they can put it together. And what happens is they do not have the perspective. They just don't have the perspective, and they. Uh, depending on the individuals, they may or may not have the sensitivity to the human side to uh, places where either that CEO or possibly one of his key lieutenants is got one foot on the brake and one foot on the accelerator and doesn't really know that. Yeah. But with a team of four of us uh, where we really fill in, like for instance, Damon is able to do financials. I took a, you know, I had an MBA program that was great. Uh, and I can read a balance sheet. Okay. But to watch Damon at this, uh, great big organ that he's playing, uh, creating, uh, dashboards and, and ways of relating the business. I learned a lot. And the CEO learned a lot about how to make that happen. Or another fellow named, um, Scott Shumway that brings, um, a th- what was in the goal uh, that that famous book about um, how you manage constraints within a company mm-hmm. that you have things kind of going along in a pipeline and somewhere there is a constraint there is a bottleneck at least one well there is one major bottleneck what is it let's go figure that out uh, that's something that I studied a little bit but um, Scott really knows how to do that and so on so you get this uh, big perspective that you can bring. And all the while, it's informed by uh, a sensitivity to the human side. We don't want to push this guy too hard, the CEO. Uh, we don't want to let him off the hook either. We want to help him understand that he's got people that may not be doing the best thing for him. All that is general management. It goes clear back to my day of being the quality manager for a pretty big division when I realized you've got to make the whole business work. That's the top thing that the CEO has got to do. And CEOs can get so distracted 
by uh, the minutiae and by the particulars and by things that are uh, uh, urgent, yeah, but not important. Urgent, yeah, but not important. As Steve Rice likes to say, that that's the Eisenhower matrix. What's urgent? What's important? And we do mm -hmm. tend to get swept away by the urgent. Yeah. So uh, that that's the first of like three examples of things that uh, kind of came out of that confluence for me of uh, of the left and the right brain. But I think anybody listening in, if there are folks listening in that are not involved with the four of us, you can just do this yourself. You can start out with something like this. Just write down all the stuff that a business does, and it's, mm -hmm. it's just it's just what you'd expect. It's the four things I said: finance, accounting, human resources, uh, facilities, quality, all that, and just assess, and then figure yeah. out where your real needs are. But it sure helps to have an extra pair of eyes. So anyway, that's that's one of those things that uh, I I just think it's uh, really helpful. And oh, I worked for a firm for a little while uh, back in New York City, right after my MBA program. Mm -hmm. And we did these scopings. We would bring in a half a dozen consultants into a, a mid-sized division of a of a company, and yeah. spend three four days with them, and just get answers to this. And then we go disappear off in a conference room and put together a PowerPoint that summarized and prioritized, you know, what the big ones are and how they're interrelated, and. Uh, the the value add was enormous just huge value add to the client yeah yeah so you work a lot with organizational development too i mean i've seen the way that you 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 like the what you were doing there was laying out the different organizational functions mm -hmm. you really mm -hmm. work about that and to go okay now if we're going to have a CRO or we're going to have a general manager, we're going to have a frontline supervisor, this is what they do. And this is how it fits into the organization. You do a lot of that too, don't mm -hmm. you? I do. It winds up, it, it seems funny, but quite a few of the clients that I've picked up over the last few years are not well organized that way. They're just not. And you say, well, gee, you need an org chart. You need to have staff meetings and and often the answer is, nah, we don't need we don't need that stuff. Uh, yeah. We see each other every day. We know where everybody's at. Um, sorry, because people do not know what they're um, being held accountable for. Yeah, who's on first base? They, they don't. So yeah. they need they need a lot of help uh, getting that right. Well, and it it's interesting as you said, and we've worked together before on clients, and and the the interesting perspective that i've gained from working with you is that your work in describing the organization and the positions within it and what they're responsible for ties in directly to the kind of work that that i like to be doing and i do typically with clients is where we're measuring performance and 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 helping them drive to the next level because if you're talking about a frontline supervisor uh in a production setting well and you've laid out what they're responsible, they're responsible for production. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. We, need to, we need to define the, the quantitative and qualitative measures to what success looks like. And that's how working together in some of these situations gives a, as you talked about with your team uh, in the, the organization, that's what you really get and a different perspective to, to show the company that is very good in could be manufacturing, could be software development, doesn't really matter. But to, to show them how you apply these different techniques in their organization to, to really drive the change that they want. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So when you looked at this and you go, 
you got all this left brain work that you did before. How do you think that left brain and right brain work that you do now, how did that really give you a little different perspective on this? Hmm. Good question, Damon. Let me, I'm kind of uh, yeah. reflecting on that. Because <clears throat> it is. Cause Cause I, I mean, because there's not a lot. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, people that you go, okay, they went to MIT and now they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, and especially you went to MIT for electrical engineering right. and, and now you're working with a lot more in human behavior and organizational development. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what happens is I still am highly devoted to the left brain stuff, you know, how to, how to make uh, how to make a research and development organization work, for example, I can even talk about that in a minute, but um, so you're working along on something like that. And you realize that something feels funny. It's, it's some little red flag yeah. back there says, you know, something feels funny. And you, you had you not had the kind of training, the kind of uh, either meditation time or uh, self-analysis, you you tend to dismiss or not even notice that funny feeling that something something a little bit strange is going on here. Mm -hmm. But instead you say, well, let's see, what is going on here? Something's going on and you can go ahead and explore it then. And, and, but, but you also have learned over the years, often by making mistakes about what they now call EQ, about uh, uh, emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. EQ sounds funny, but um, so you have to learn how to get the languaging and the framing um, appropriate for who, who you're trying to talk to. You know, and uh, sometimes you don't even do it. You have somebody else talk to them. Um, but you, you get sensitive to that there's a human dimension there yeah. that is uh, basically irrational. Yeah. Not completely, but uh, irrationality is real dominant in, in the human side. And, and uh, I once remember hearing a thing about... Um, um the, that great psychologist that one of the great psychologists of all times and i thought okay that'd be freud that'd be young who uh charles darwin what psychologist charles darwin and and uh, the person was just making the point that uh so much of what we do is is kind of animal yeah it, it's kind of evolutionary like like something I heard the other day that I hadn't ever heard the expression that uh, we have a negativity bias. We tend to see things negative. Something pops up, some new piece of news. And the reason is our brain is wired for survival. And so if we hear a branch go crack behind us, our first impulse is, well, that's a lion about ready to eat me. Yeah. You know, that, that's just how we think. We just, so uh, there's a lot of that kind of negativity that's baked in the people and yeah. you have to be able to work with it and yet to get through because of course there's a lot of really good and really ambitious and really helpful and really um, wholesome stuff that you see as well, but it yeah. can get pretty obscured by the other. Yeah. So, 
Well, and I've got to think too that that your your left brain work as an engineer and understanding of the scientific method and and things like that from from that helps you to approach it. The human behavior from a scientific standpoint is in and and really weigh alternatives, test theories, and, and those kind of things as well. Yep, exactly. That, that's yeah. a good observation, and I do do that. I, and it's sometimes hard to not jump to conclusions. Yeah. Say, well, you know, they're they're, um, they're screwed up, and, and that's the end of that. Uh, no, no, you, you have to. It, but it's a discipline. It's a discipline yeah. to be more scientific about it. Yeah. Well, Scott, Scott's got a question. He says, how do you help people see things they don't naturally see like a company that is not organized as well as they should be? And, you know, leaders, he gives an example, leaders who are firefighting every day have a difficult time stepping back and seeing the problems. And how do you help them step back and be open to making things better? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's, uh, (laughs) you know, for a consultant. Because one thing I've learned when I first got into consulting right out of my MBA program, I had this unconscious model. I'm a little bit ashamed to say this, but I did. Uh, I'm, I'm the well-educated guy. I'm the smart guy. You're the client. You're, uh, you know, you're asking questions. And so I'm going to tell you. I'm going to just tell you how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you know, get your chalkboard up and your pencil prepared. And you, you write down what I tell you. Uh-huh. Uh, that doesn't get very far. No. It, it gets you a little bit. But um, at the end of the day, it really, really doesn't get you very far. So the answer to Scott's question is uh, you have, you really have to do it by asking questions. Uh, even observation isn't quite a, enough. You, you do observe, uh, but you, you have to say, like this one company I um, spent some time with about two years ago, they had... Uh, a completely disorganized random thing going on where everybody mm-hmm. was doing everything. And mm-hmm. I said, do you have an org chart? And the person said, yeah. And I said, could I see it? And the person sitting next to her said, uh, you know, we, we, we don't. Well, yeah, of course we do. Well, could I see it? Well, you, you know, it, it's not written down. And, and gradually the conversation came around to she finally said, uh, yeah, you know, no, no, we don't. And, and well, how do you know what to do? Well, we just know we've been together for all these years. Yeah. And we just kind of, yeah. And, and gradually by asking more than one person, usually it's nice to have two or three people in the room, but to ask questions and let them figure it out. Uh, that's the only thing that works as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. So that's it, to me, that's the answer to Scott's question. I, I think you're a hundred percent there because it's, it's asking the questions to, so you understand really good, really well, and mm-hmm. they understand the benefits if they maybe change some things or thought about things differently. Yeah. Yep. Because you expose, you keep exposing because you need to understand as, as right. an outside consultant coming in, you need to understand and go, okay, is there really a rock here under this water? If we, if we drop the level, is there really a rock there or is it yeah. just my mind? And as you do that, the people that you're talking to go, oh, there is a rock here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Oh, there is a rock here and we can build a bridge over it if we do this and yep. or around it or whatever we got to do. But I yep. love that example because I used to use it in the, in the factories. You know, I grew up mechanical engineering operations that's where i started and Mm -hmm. when we were doing improvements or things in the factories 
it was all asking questions. It was all asking questions. It's never telling anybody anything as much as you possibly can. It's always, even if you wanted somebody to do something, you'd always go, what do you think about doing it like this? Yeah. Yep. What, what, would, just, we, what would we have to do if that, what if we can't do it that way? Well, how could we make it work a little differently, but kind of close to that? And yep. just keep asking the questions and keep asking them. And it's so much fun. Because <laughs> it is. It is it's as like as a as a leader or a consultant. I mean, because this this is the blast is when people learn something on their own, come through with that breakthrough, and all you were doing was not all you were doing, but what you were doing, your role in that was helping them realize what was sitting there in front of them. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's one, it's one a lot more of fun. little uh, piece on that. Uh, again, Scott's very excellent question. Um, this is a technique I picked up out of a book somewhere. Uh, you you say to them, okay, you got this this thing going on. Uh, does that is that costing you any any money? No, it's not costing any money. It, it, you know, it, well, how about it? Well, okay, maybe it costs a little bit. Well, let's see. Now, actually, hmm, I guess it's costing us quite a bit uh, as a percentage of revenue. So, as a percentage of net profit, it's like half of your net profit, right? Geez, yeah, well, I guess it is. That that thing really speaks to um, to the CEO and to the C-suite is how much is it costing you to, yeah. to have that, to have that going on? Yeah. To have to have people who run around here um, with their hair on fire. Well, it doesn't cost the same thing. Okay, how, how about how about that? Well, okay, it costs a little. Get the cost. Help yeah. them get the cost. So that helps too. That is an awesome way to look at it because if you're making a million dollars and and you're and you're selling ten million dollars a year, but you're making a million dollars profit, a hundred thousand dollar cost yeah. is ten percent. Ten percent to your adds ten percent to your profit just by taking care of that seemingly little thing that in the scheme of ten million dollars is nothing, but in scheme of it all drops yeah. to the bottom line profit if you fix it, it's it's a big deal. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's a great perspective on it. And uh, yeah. Steve, Steve had a big, big comment here. Wow. Covered our faces up. So this, this is awesome. <laughs> That's probably better, better, but uh, yep. Crisis managers. Crisis managers. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and that, that whole crisis management, I tell you, if, if when you see an organization switch, Make that change because it's almost like a light switch sometimes because yeah. you, you go and you go and you go and then all of a sudden things start to change. And then the next week you go, oh, this is a different week because we're, we we got ahead of the crisis with our planning and now our planning is working and yeah. there's only two crises rather than 10 crises or it goes down and goes down and goes down. And the better your planning and execution gets, the that's something. That's a great point. Yep. And uh, Scott cool. said about asking the questions. Yep. yep. Good stuff. I want to switch uh, to one other thing um, that kind of gets at uh, a lot of what we've been talking about here. Something that Steve and I have been working on now for a little while. Uh, it's okay to do that? Yeah, let's yeah. Let's, let's yeah, do yeah. it. Because we're, we're, we're here to talk about achieving satisfying business results. And man, and we're hitting this hard. So yep. that's good. Exactly. That's, that's how I'm feeling. Um, I want to talk about leadership 
leader development. Let's leave the ship off. Of, let's just say yeah. developing leaders. <clears throat> um, and I'm thinking more like mid-level. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could apply this to a lot of levels, but um, emerging, mid-level, and then the top. Um, in particular, and I, I know sometimes this becomes emotional or political, but I'm going to kind of make the assumption that it shouldn't and it need yep. not. Uh, you have three kind of areas. Uh, you have the classic uh, leader manager techniques. There's a whole book of them. I mean, yeah. you study business school and you get all kinds of things to do about that. Most of them are quite good that I've seen anyway, pretty helpful. And as you live your life, you pick them up along the way. So one is, is classical, I'm going to say leader techniques, but number two has emerged onto the palette relatively recently. And I think this year, like right now, it's really booming. And that is the global imperative. Mm -hmm. uh, we are facing climate change. We're, you know, that, that movie, uh, don't look up. It's, I don't know if you've seen that, but that's like, uh, yes. whoa, ho, we're, we're yeah. facing it's coming at us. We've had fires down here where we are, uh, you know, Europe and Seattle, and you've had, you've had it too, but we've had horrendous fires this year. Just, mm -hmm. uh, and it, so it, let's leave it at that. There, there's species extinction, there's loss of habitat, there's global warming. So how do you bring that into a business? You think, well, I, as an individual, maybe I got an electric vehicle or I uh, eat less meat or whatever. Okay. That's, that's great. You gotta do that. And, and then you have governments. Governments have to be involved in this. It's gotta be policy. Yeah. But in between is businesses and boy, mm -hmm. I am seeing businesses right, left, center, uh, do stuff that is, uh, adding, adding to the solution. It is profitable. It benefits their brand. Uh, they're, they're making hay on the thing. Now, is yeah. there greenwashing? Is there lying? Is there disinformation? Yeah, there's a lot. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I hate to sound like a cynic, but it's there. But there's also a whole lot of people. And Steve and I have, Steve in particular, has found a lot of people, like half a dozen or 10, that are doing significant things at a high level in their business to help with, I'm going to just say, climate change. Yeah. So that's number two. And then number three in your leadership bag is what we talked about a while ago is, is your own internal development. And that does not lend itself to a cookie cutter or a recipe yeah. or a, you know, yep. go do it this way. You've got to find that for yourself. And like you just described, Damon, you, in the last couple of years, you have managed to figure some of that out. Yeah. Carve out, carve out a way for yourself. And like what? you said earlier, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, absent that, you are probably you're going to stumble. You're going to you're going to not be as good a leader as you could. So a hundred percent. And I think I think what we miss in in this in internal development, in leadership, and just in general life skills, right? Is like anything, you plateau. I mean, we don't know it all. We're not born yeah. knowing it all. We don't we don't get out of high school knowing it all. We don't get out of if you've got never gone to any education past that, you're you're not done. And if you yep. are, that's where you're gonna plateau. 
you you get what you you get what you put out. I mean, as far as your your skills and the way you way you look at it, if you're not happy with your life, a lot of it is what you're doing. Yep. Absolutely. The rest of the world is 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 just kind of going on outside of you. And there's so many choices that we have to make. And, and when we talk about those being professional choices, um, doesn't matter if I'm gone to MIT like yourself or I went out and started working and I'm I'm a construction person and I'm yep. I'm building houses, whatever. I'm a welder in a manufacturing place. There are so many things that we can be doing that improve our life, our skill set, that just continue to help us move forward in the direction we want, whether it's in something personal or something professional, but this internal development to create the whole person. Because, yeah. you know, in the in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was like, don't let your personal life bleed over into work. You just don't. You don't. I mean, it doesn't matter. You just don't. And what we've come to realize, I think, in the last 10 years, maybe more, mm -hmm. last few years, even more yet, is that the work-life balance is, a lot of us are simply not going to have it. So we yeah. really need to understand mm -hmm. how to integrate work and life in a harmonious way that allows us to be happy in our lives and our careers. And it takes, it takes a lot of internal, it takes this internal development. It's like, how do you turn this thing into a harmonious existence or whatever you want to call it? I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting out there a little bit, but it, it really is understanding that and how you do it. Because let's face it, most business owners, there's no work-life balance. Right. There's none. And, and, and high level executives, it's it, it, and people talk about work life balance. Yes, you can always work on it, and there's separation and boundaries and all the things that you need to work on. But at the end of the day, when the house is on, you know, when the things are on fire, it still comes back to you. Yeah. So how do you yep. deal with this in a different way? How do you how do you structure your life in a different way that is it's integrating the life, uh, the career, and the life, and 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 making sure that it doesn't and because it's and. This is this is not when it's you look and. at this stuff, it's not and it's not or I have a great life. I have a great family and or I have a great career. It's not it's and and it's yeah. and it's it's that internal development. And in like you said before, classical leader te leadership techniques or leader techniques and and this internal development, I think that really powers that. Yep. That's so well said, Damon. Um, the, just the idea of balance means we got two entities two separate entities that are opposing on the opposite side of the scale. That is right there, a misconception. Yep. Yep. Maybe for some people it may not be, but for people that we're talking to, it's a misconception. Yeah. Yeah. It... Well, that's what uh, Steve and I are working on, this thing called the Globally Conscious Leader. Yeah. And it's a, uh, a program. We're actually putting it together. It's going to be um, – we're, we're just building it right now. It's going to be modular videos that people can sign up for and, and uh, get involved with. Uh, so mm -hmm. we're, we're uh, working on that. That's, as we speak. that's cool. You know, when you step back to the global imperative that you talked about, I always think about the, the benefit of understanding uh, the global footprint of business. Right. I mean, because, yeah. and, and what that really looks like and what that means. And, um, and the economic benefits. I mean, you look at, and, and right. I grew up in, in old, not old, but 
traditional manufacturing mm-hmm. and you look at something as simple and as difficult as st- uh, CNC machining of metal from plastics and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. It used to be that all the little chips that were done from that would just get thrown away, right? You didn't worry about mm-hmm. them. Now, when you recycle some of that stuff, it's worth a lot of money. And now uh-huh. when you look at it, now when you look at that part of that, it actually is part of your profit. You consider that in part of your profit because if I take a five pound piece of metal and I turn it into a one pound piece, there's four pounds of extra metal that I can recycle and I can reclaim part of part of that as, as profit towards yeah. my company. These kind of things are not only good environmentally and, and it will help generations to come. And I mean, I, I, Hey, people can, can, there's both sides of climate change There's both sides of this other stuff. But when you were talking about something earlier, you can, you can decide what you want to decide and that's fine. There are economic benefits to thinking about how you do this. And, and, yeah. You know, I've I've talked to Harry Mosier from the Reshoring Initiative here in the in the U.S. and and he speaks a lot about our our initial thought is, hey, we got to go to China, or we got to go offshore to get something less expensive. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it overall, the long term costs and the inventory costs and everything else that add up, and he's got a great cost calculator on his uh, on on the Reshoring Initiative website. It's not probably a lot le- le- less cost in a lot of cases. And when you consider that if you're trying to have a, a, a more globally, con- globally conscious footprint, that can oftentimes push you well over the top. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of reasons why that this change. And then look at the last couple of years. I mean, look, that, that really forces us to rethink what we yeah. do. And, and yep. you look at if, if I was in the car company or in, or, or making anything like that, that relies on chips. I would be thinking about, okay, yeah, it's cool that we can bring some from offshore, but we got to have some that, that are available here when yeah. we need them and do that because it, it's cost them billions of dollars. Yep. And not be we, able to when do. I was at uh, Hewlett Packard, we had uh, a Chinese manufacturer. Uh, they did a pretty good job, but the chips had to sit on a boat for quite a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And that turns out to be a killer. Yeah. It just did. I mean, it just uh, just the shipping time. And when you call them up, it was a real time offset. So you had yeah. to call them early morning or late at yeah. night. Just the, yeah. the challenge of all that versus right there in Silicon Valley, just you know, do it. And yeah. then your story about uh, getting the chips, the other kind of chips out of the you know piece of aluminum. Steve uh, Rice likes to talk about the circular economy where there's, you could just imagine all the material flows in a complete closed mm-hmm. circle instead of stuff going flying out. So you got five pounds of initial stuff and now you got four pounds of metal that you're just going to throw out of this circle. Uh, the, the industry that Steve worked in, uh, a lot of it was outdoor stuff and a lot of that was apparel. People just uh, throw away an old jacket and buy a new jacket. Well, now there's people, there's people that take waders, you know, the kind of things that you put over your boot, big boots mm-hmm. to go fishing. They take those things and they they have a way of uh, making them into something good. Yeah, it's just a really impressive. There's another guy that makes um, it's called Gear Aid, and you think Gear Aid like my gears? No, your gear, like your jacket. Mm-hmm. And he has these patches, and I think it's going to come where a jacket with a patch on it is better looking to our eye than a brand new Patagonia jacket. 
because now this guy's got a 10-year-old jacket and he's making it last a long time. So the circular economy, the thing stays within the economy the whole time. And yeah. that is non-trivial because as you kind of hinted at there, uh, Damon, you've got a supply chain, you've got stuff coming in, then you do your thing, and then you've got stuff going out. And there's a carbon footprint associated with all three of those elements. And yeah. we tend to say, well, my carbon footprint's tiny. I just have a little machine shop. You know, I just burn some electricity and that's it. Not really. You've got a supply chain incoming and going out. That's all part of this big circular economy. Yeah. So we've got to start thinking that way. We, yeah. we just we just do. Well, it makes economic sense too. And it I mean, makes economic like sense. Like we said, it's it's some of this stuff is is economic. And then the other thing that happens now when we look at the economy now and and uh, uh, think about it is that it's very hard, and I think it will continue to be hard for several years at least to hire employees because yeah. we have a, what, what people have not been addressing is that people with a bit more age have decided that it's time to quit working. And yeah. we have a, you know, we talked about the baby boomer, the silver tsunami, whatever the heck you want to talk <laughs> about, you know, for a lot of years, but this, honestly, the, uh, the last couple of years have just made people decide, yeah, I'm not going to work anymore. Yeah. I'm not going to work anymore. And, and older people, <laughs> right. Yep. And that's a, that's a study population a lot when I was younger and in, in some of the businesses I was running to understand what this, this aging looks like. And when you look at it on a bell curve, Oh my goodness. And there's another one coming in, in the, the uh, millennials or Gen Z. I, I get it mixed up. Gen, whatever the after millennials, sorry, my, that's my, son, oh, yeah. but, but, but there's a big, there's a big bubble again. Right. But what I'm saying is that, hiring people people want to be want to work for companies that that stand by good things are globally conscious are trying to treat people as best they can and really value the people these are things that are not going to be optional i believe right in many Amen. in many regards and it's going to be just a, a, a it's going to be a you can make it a benefit or it can be a cost of doing business but you're going to have to do it Yep. It's, yep. it's going to happen. It's happened more every day. I mean, because you, you mentioned Patagonia and when you look at a company like that and they're they both those fronts trying to treat him, treat employees very well and the environment very well. It's just it's it become a way of what they have to do to be be a leader in the game. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's no longer optional. Yeah. Now, if you want to do a good job. Yep. Oh man, it's been so awesome. Awesome having you on. See, John, it was like you were you were wondering, oh yeah, what am I gonna talk about? Here we're we're almost an hour into this, and usually we stop at about 45 minutes. I'm like, oh man, we could talk for another hour. Yeah. So it's so great to have you on, John, because because your perspective in organizational organizational development, the human the human behavior, and how you've really helping clients figure that out and turn it into better business results. I always love talking about it with you. Yep. Me too. This has uh, just been great, Damon. Just super. Yeah. Just, just the way you kind of come alive and then you turns out you have an experience with, uh, <laughs> with this whole thing all by yourself. So yeah, it's been great. Good it's stuff. Great. Good stuff. Well, Tay, I want to say thanks so much for Steve and Scott Curtis and Ali. I saw Ali 
Dakarab uh, from Lebanon. That's cool as heck. Uh, anybody else that's listening, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate you. Appreciate the comments. Appreciate the, taking a look at our videos and, and talking. And uh, reach out to John if you want to talk to him. So, John, what's the best way to contact you if somebody wants to contact you? Yeah, probably email. It's just it's, simple. John at Lamy Consulting. All right. Real good. We'll have that in our, in our show notes here and we'll have it on our blog when we put it on there and, and everything. So thanks so much for being here, John Lamy and John. Uh, and uh, I don't know why I said your last name there, but I get excited and I do. If everybody's listened to more than one of these, I get excited and I just blabble on once in a while, but John, thanks okay. so much for being here. I really enjoyed it. And Me I too. think you may be the first person that graduated from MIT that I talked to. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That's okay. cool. Yeah. That's cool. But <laughs> thanks so much. Have a great day, everyone. And we will be All back right. again later. All Bye. right. Just Bye -bye. hang on for a second there, John, and we'll, okay. we'll